Good morning and happy Mother's Day. My name is R. Dallas Green. Welcome. Each of you. Sharon is a mother of nine, and um, she's been gathering presents ever since Easter. We have this treasure trove in the back, and we, no matter how you came, we want you to leave full. You know, our greatest treasure is our moms because they are in charge of our little ones. And our children's ministry, in partnership with moms and dads, are out to build up little disciples. We give thanks to God for the sacrifices that moms make for their kids. And whether they're working moms or stay-at-home moms or some combination thereof, we appreciate you. We know that being a mom is not easy. To those of you who are single and wonder if and when marriage will ever come or whether you'll be a mom someday, we just want you to enjoy this season of life you're in and believe that God has plans for you. And to those of you who are expecting who gave birth this year to a child, we celebrate with you. This is a year that we celebrated the birth of two grandchildren, little um, John Robin, born to Chris and Rachel, and Andrew to Bat- Betsy, and- Betsy and Matt. To those of you who lost a child <clears throat> or a grandchild this year, we know how tough that is. We mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones day in and day out, who wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. We know there's no clock you check into, right? We appreciate your devotion. To those who have experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or runaways, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility and haven't conceived, we know something about the tears and disappointment. Forgive us when we say dumb stuff, right? We don't want to make your life any harder. To those foster moms and infant care moms and Mentor moms and spiritual moms, we do need you in the body of Christ. Thank you for the investment you're making. To those moms, to those who have close relationships with your kids, we're happy for you. To those who are disappointed with heartache and distance from your mom, we know your pain. To those who lost your moms this year, sincerely we grieve with you. To those who live through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, We're better for having you in our midst because you've been tested. To those of you who step-parent, we walk with you through difficult, complex paths. To those sending students off to college, we know how difficult it is. We appreciate you moms. I want to do something a little different this year. You know, our, our church is all about equipping people, and this is really an equipping sermon on the area of prayer. And this is really a good prayer to pray. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3. And since it's Mother's Day, I'm, at the end of this, I'm going to pray for the moms, pray over them. But I'd like you to learn this prayer, be able to pray this prayer. In fact, this week, I'd like you to pray this prayer for somebody. I believe that when you pray, there is a release of power. That where there's no prayer, there's no power. And where there's some prayer, there's some power. But where there's much prayer, there's much power power. And I can just imagine if you all will take this prayer I'm going to give you found in Ephesians 3 and begin praying this prayer, there's going to be a release of much power. So let's look together at Ephesians 3, beginning in the first verse. Paul begins this chapter by saying, for this reason I, Paul. Interestingly, in the 14th verse, he says again, for this reason I kneel. Apparently what happens in this prayer is that Paul gets distracted. You ever been distracted when you started to pray? Made a digression? He 
begins to reflect upon how God gave him revelation. Something was concealed that was revealed to Paul. God revealed to him a mystery unveiled to him. He said, I became a servant of God's gospel by God's grace. If you've been saved, you've been saved by the grace of God. Paul certainly knew he didn't deserve to be saved. He had a profound understanding of his own sin. That when he was blind, he tried to destroy the church. But God opened up his eyes and saved him. He said, this grace was given to me. Although I am the least of all God's people, I am the least of all God's apostles, I had this great privilege of telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, the unfathomable riches of the person of Jesus. You know, sailors, when they were sailing the seas, would often take soundings to see how deep the sea was, whether the ship would go aground. And if the, the soundings didn't return, it was considered a fathomless sea. That is to say, there was no bottom they could discern. It was an endless bottom. And that's the language that Paul's using here to describe the gospel, the fathomless riches of Christ. Then he begins to say at the, at the end of this part, he says, I ask you not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are for you, which are for your glory. You see, what Paul was saying is that I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner to Caesar. I'm a prisoner of the person of Jesus Christ. You see, your perspective in the midst of suffering makes all the difference. Paul's circumstances didn't define him. He wasn't a prisoner to his circumstances. He was an apostle, a prisoner to Jesus Christ. He said he knows exactly where God has put him. He knows how long he would stay there. He knows when he's going to go home. And while he's in prison, Paul begins to pray this beautiful prayer, which he begins again now in verse 14. So those 13 verses are sort of a parenthesis. And now Paul picks up what he came to write about earlier. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. The starting point of this prayer is humility and surrender to the Father. Let's say that God has put somebody on your heart. It could be your mom. It could be your wife or your husband. It could be your daughter or your son. It could be your friend. And you know this person is under great stress. Perhaps they're battling an illness, a condition. Perhaps they feel overwhelmed at work. Maybe they have strained relationships at work. Perhaps they're trying to get pregnant and can't. Perhaps they're carrying a child and having complications. Perhaps they're taking care of a newborn and feeling sleep deprived. Maybe they have a house full of little ones to take care of, sending a child off to college. For this reason, he says, there's always a reason for coming before the Father. And what happens here is Paul bows his knee before the Father. You know, the typical Jewish posture to prayer was to stand and raise one's arms outward. But in this case, because of the situation he's in, he's kneeling before the Father. To kneel is to show one's humility. To bow your knees is to humble yourself. You know, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
And to bow the knee is also to surrender to one's authority. He realizes that God is in heaven and he is on earth. He's praying to his loving heavenly father who is able to help. And he prays according to the riches of his glory. You know, with God, there is no lack. With God, there is abundant supply. With God's riches will never run dry. And he prays according to God's incredible glory. And this is the beginning of his prayer. Verse 16. He prays this. I pray that out of your glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner person. He's not necessarily addressing physical strength, though we can pray for someone to be physically strengthened. He's not praying here for emotional strength, though we can pray for someone's emotions in the middle of a battle. He's praying here for spiritual strength. He's talking about the inner person, the soul and spirit. He's addressing the people who may be losing heart. They are focused on the wrong thing. You see, I believe they had their eyes focused on Paul and his imprisonment. The Christian life, you could say, is a bit like a marathon, that we start a marathon with lots of energy, but as the race goes on, our legs begin to tire, and sooner or later, we experience pain, and we begin to lose heart. Sometimes in the midst of a race, we can fix our eyes upon a person, perhaps the person in front of us. We said to ourselves, surely I'll catch that person at some juncture in the race. But as we tire in the race, we begin to lose focus. Perhaps we can't even finish the race. Paul, their leader, was in prison. And they've lost heart because their eyes were fixed upon him. They prayed for him to be released, but he's still in prison. They prayed for justice to be done, for the right to be made, the wrong to be made right but he's still behind bars. They've longed for Paul to return to them, but he's still in Rome. You see, what they're facing is deep disappointment with God. They don't understand how God could possibly love them and not answer their prayers, to do what they wanted him to do and not let Paul go. He says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost person. He's thinking about somebody who's facing a battle. And there are plenty of people in this room that are dealing with battles, facing spiritual attacks, perhaps a battle with depression or despair, perhaps a veteran battling against PTSD, perhaps a parent whose child is using drugs and in great danger. We should pray for everyone everywhere because everyone is in a battle. Maybe the person in a battle is not somebody you know. Maybe the person in a battle is you. You see, the real battle we wage is not on the outside. The real battle is the battle we wage on the inside. And your Heavenly Father knows all about the battles you fight. He knows your battle with weight. He knows your battle with desires. You know, your battle with thoughts. But there is a greater power available to you. And what he prays is that God, out of his abundant riches, may strengthen you in your innermost being through 
His Spirit. You know, there's a power that flows to us all the time, but we're not always aware of it. There was a lovely couple that lived in the Midwest in a farmhouse, and they had just gotten electricity. Previously, they had lit their house with lamps and candles. And the electric company noticed that they weren't using much electricity. So someone from the electric company went out to the house and said, how come you're using such little electricity? And they said, it's because we turn our lights on to see where our lamps and candles are. We light them and then we turn our electricity off. You see, there's this power that God wants to flow to us in our innermost being, but we have to tap into that power. And the way we tap into that power is through prayer. You see, prayer is that which releases power into our life. God has sufficient power for us, but we have to ask him to send that power into our life, into our innermost being. And it begins by asking our Father to give us strength in our innermost being through his Spirit. Secondly, he prays that Christ would feel comfortable living in our hearts so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Do you know this is the only place in Scripture where the metaphor is used of Christ coming to dwell in someone's heart? The Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we'll have fellowship with each other. But this is the only place we find in all of Scripture where the mention of Christ dwelling in our hearts is. You see, the aim of God strengthening us with power in our inner person is that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. We know that the Spirit dwells in every believer. And if the, the Spirit does not dwell in you, a person is not a believer. So why does Paul pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts? He's writing to Christian believers. He's talking about something more than a spirit coming to live inside of us at the point of salvation. He's talking about Christ being at home in our hearts. He's not praying that we might be saved, for they already are. But when a person is saved, you see, the Lord takes up residence in their hearts. The word dwell here means to settle down in, to be at home at. The idea is being comfortable in a home. Just as you would have a guest come into your home and see that person become welcome and feel comfortable. So when Christ comes to live in our hearts, we want to welcome him and help him feel comfortable inside of us. There are places that my wife Debbie and I have been where Debbie has not been comfortable. We came to a city once, we were going to a conference, and I tried to make reservations in a motel. And the good places were all booked. So I made reservations at the Motel 6. I've learned since then you don't make reservations at places that begin with, have numbers in them like 8 and 6. So we checked in, and I'd just been to India, and I thought this place would be, would be pretty nice in India. I mean, they had plastic covers on the bed. The uh, sheets were a little worn thin. The towels, threadbare. And I thought if we just lie down and turn off the lights and fall asleep, it's going to be all right. So when I lie down, this may be a little too personal information, 
I put my hands behind my head like this. And when I did, I felt something run across my hand. And I quickly pulled my hand back. And Debbie said, what was that? And I said, oh, nothing. I was just adjusting myself. Then she turned on the light. And I kid you not, there were conservatively 100 roaches in proximity to that bed. There were even more in the little kitchenette area. And this is what Debbie said. I'm not comfortable here. <laughs> I can't stay in this place one minute longer. If I have to sleep in the car, we're going to leave this place. You know, when Jesus walks into your place, into your heart, is there stuff that he needs to get rid of there? Imagine him walking through the rooms of your heart as if the rooms of your house, walking into the kitchen and seeing there the appetites, walking there in the living room to see what we watch, what we read, what we view. There's probably a closet that you'd like to step into and clean the junk out of that closet. You see, it's all about making him feel comfortable in our hearts. We pray that God the Father may strengthen us in our innermost being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Third, that a person may go deeper and grow stronger in their love. I pray that you may be rooted and grounded in love. Now, Paul mixes his metaphors here using a term from agriculture and a term from architecture. The result of being strengthened with power in our inner being is that Christ will dwell in our hearts resulted in being rooted and grounded in love. Paul doesn't specify here whether he's talking about God's love for us or our love for him or our love for one another, but he's talking about the main principle of the Christian life, which is love. Jesus said it like this, a new command I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus' love. When his disciples squabbled with one another, he loved them. When they argued about who would be the greatest, he loved them. When they denied him, Peter, he loved them. When they deserted him, he pursued them. He loved them. The love of Jesus is a very persevering kind of love. What is it to be rooted? To be rooted is... It pictures a strong, sturdy, grounded love that sinks its roots deep into the soil that enables us to withstand drought and fierce storms. The droughts, the dry seasons will inevitably come. That's why we need to be deeply rooted. You know, the roots of a tree are very significant. The older roots are that which anchors the tree when the strong storms come. The newer roots are that which draws up the water and nutrition from the soil. He's saying, let it become deep. The fierce storms will inevitably come. The winds will blow against the tree, but the tree won't break. You see, a tree is a living organism. And even as the Christian life is a living, growing relationship with God and others, God's love is the soil in which we are planted and that which are deep, roots result in growth. What is it to be grounded? To be grounded pictures a solid building with a foundation 
that goes down to the bedrock. It can withstand a flood or an earthquake because it is built upon a rock. It pictures the love of God, not based on fluctuating feelings or circumstances. Rather, it is strong and sturdy, undergirding you through life. Some of you come to the Christian life from an upbringing where love was non-existent. You've heard about Jesus' love for you on a cross. You've been thinking about putting your trust in Christ, but you've never experienced real love. If I ask you this question, does God love you? You might say yes, but I have some doubts. I wonder sometimes if he really loves me. I hope he loves me. I've heard it said he loves me. Or you could say, I don't see how he could possibly love me. The truth is, you are more loved than you ever could imagine. If God had a refrigerator, he'd have your picture on the fridge. If God had a cell phone, your picture would pop up. You see, the love of God is a vast, immense love he has for you. If the love of God were an ocean, I'd swim in that ocean. If the love of God was a bath, I'd bathe in that bath. If the love of God was a shower, I'd let the warm water hit me until the warm, warm water ran out, which it never will. Because the love of God can never be exhausted. You see, he's praying that we might know the, have the roots run down deep and be strong upon the foundation of his love. Then he prays in the context of community that this person may comprehend the vastness of God's love. I think about the love of God to be like a vast ocean. If you and I on this Mother's Day could go to the Atlantic coast and look out from the shore upon the vast expanse of the sea, we would be taken by the beauty and the roar of the ocean. And if we had a little pint cup, we could put our pint cup into the oncoming waves and our cup would be instantly filled. Our cup would not diminish the ocean. There's plenty more ocean where that came from. But our little small cup would become full. There is a seemingly endless ocean to draw from. So it is with God's love. The lust, love of God is vast and immense. God can fill the universe with his love and God can fill our hearts with his love. So when we are empty, we know where to get full. His prayer is that we might grasp the vastness of the love of God, that we might know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God. You say, Pastor R, how long has God loved me? Oh, he's loved you from all eternity. It says he chose you before the foundation of the world. He set his love upon you even then. How long will God love me? He will love you on through eternity. You see, he, he will love you beyond time and history into the eons ahead. Before he ever formed the earth, before he ever flung a star in the sky, before he fashioned man and woman, he set his love upon you. There ends the length of God's love. What is the breath? What is the breath of his love? Oh, the breath of his love is that he has set his love upon all mankind, Jews and Gentiles alike, 
and gathered them up in his church without difference, without division. He set his love upon black and white, upon rich and poor, upon slave and free, upon man and woman. It doesn't make any difference because God has reconciled us to himself through the cross. Oh, the breath of his love to include all nations, all peoples, all languages. And what is the... um, What is the height of his love? How high is God's love? How high does God's love reach? His love reaches to the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the skies. You see, he seated us in a very high place beside Christ, far above all principalities and powers and rulers. These Christians did not have any political power. They had no connections with Rome. They'd never be seated next to Caesar. But now they're seated next to Christ in the highest place. (laughs) And how low does his love reach? How far down does his love reach? Well, when we were down and out, Christ lifted us up. When we were dead, Christ made us alive. When we were rebels, Christ changed our lives. Paul prays that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints this measureless love of God. Now, there's two ways we grow in our comprehension of Christ's love. The first is we grow in comprehension of Christ's love when we as believers tell how God saved us and has sustained us through difficult trials. The second way we grow in our understanding of God's love is when we face a trial and somebody shows us the incredible love of God. Quite often we grow in love when another believer demonstrates to us the love of Christ in the midst of a crisis. And that's a really beautiful thing when we come alongside us. That's why we need to do this together. And he prays that we might understand and experience the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now that's a really interesting phrase, by the way. How do you know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that's beyond knowing something? I mean, how do you comprehend something that's beyond comprehension, right? He's talking here about experiencing the love of God. You see, when you experience love, you can't completely understand it, but you feel it. A baby knows his mother's love. When the baby's wet, the baby cries and the mother comes and changes the baby. When the baby's hungry, the baby comes, the mommy comes and feeds the little one. When the baby's frightened, the mommy comes and she comforts. You see, though the little baby could not write an essay about the love of God, they've experienced the love of God expressed through their mommy. You see, That's what he's praying for, is that we might experience the love of God, which is beyond our comprehension. That we might be filled to the fullest measure. That God may move us from this place of being empty to this place of being filled. Now he's praying for believers to move from immaturity into maturity. To empty themselves of their selves and to be full of God's love that we become mature. And when we become mature, we begin to overflow. 
oftentimes we have to empty ourselves of griping and complaining that we may be full of contentment. We have to empty ourselves of anger in order to be made full of joy. Ultimately, he's praying that God may be glorified in this person's life. And when we pray over somebody, we're praying that the glory of God may be manifested in their life. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or even imagine, according to the power that works within us. May this glory be in his church and in our lives forever and ever. He's praying that a person's life may bring glory to God. Riney and Terry Winter, Winterholter were in our church for a number of years. Maybe you know Riney and Terry. They were a high school sweethearts, and they married very young. Terry was a nurse, and Riney was a Montgomery County police officer on the SWAT team. Uh, they moved away, and after several years, Terry was having some headaches, and she went to see a doctor, and he sent her to a neurosurgeon and discovered that Terry had a brain tumor. Surgeons removed the brain tumor, but she did not feel herself for about a year. She felt depressed and listless. And one day after work, being a nurse, Terry lay down and she fell asleep. She didn't realize it, but she was having 14 hours of seizures. They took her to the hospital and she slipped into a coma. And she was in this coma for many days and weeks. The ventilator was keeping her alive. And the doctors told Ryanie that if she were to wake up, she would have very little brain function. So Riney made the very difficult decision to take her off of life support. Can you imagine being the husband of somebody you love and this person's on life support and now she's not going to get better, so we're going to take her off life support. Just before this happened, her daughter's wedding took place in that hospital room. And it was the very day of the solar eclipse. So everybody slipped out of the room and Riney was telling Terry how much she loved her and that he would always love her. And then he saw her eye popped open. And he called for the nurse, and the nurse said, well, sometimes eyes pop open. But he said to her, Terry, if you can hear my voice, squeeze my hand. And she squeezed his hand. Now, she's been in a coma for weeks. Terry, to this day, has made a full recovery the doctor has put in his report, it was a miracle. There's no explanation for what has happened. And Terry will say, this is the power of prayer. You see, there was a woman, <laughs> two women, who said word to Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus said, this sickness will not result in death. No, this is for God's glory, that Christ may be glorified. I want to tell you that God was glorified through the life of Terry and Riney, as he heard your prayers being offered on their behalf because Terry has a really sweet Mother's Day and story to tell this year. Let's give God some glory. Isn't he good? Isn't our God good that he hears our prayers? And wouldn't it be good to say some prayers over our moms? Pray with me. 
Father, you've given us now this beautiful prayer in the Apostle Paul's book of Ephesians. And we pray, Lord, for you to strengthen our precious moms, our precious women, in their innermost being. God, you know what they struggle with. You know their battles. You know where they need to be strengthened. You know what they face at work, at home. You know their situation in their families. Father, would you strengthen them that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith, that he might be comfortable in their hearts, that they might be able to get rid of the things that need to be taken out, that they might be rooted and grounded in love, that their roots would sink deep, deep, deep into love of God, that their lives would be built upon this very solid foundation, that they might comprehend the height and the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God, that you might fill them to the fullest measure, that, God, they may become full of your very presence, of your love, your peace, your joy, and that, God, their lives would bring such immense glory to you that when we see them, we would see the person of Jesus and how he's at work in their life. Father, we so thank you for this powerful prayer. And now, God, we ask you that we might be able to pray this prayer for somebody this week, that somebody might be blessed and strengthened because we prayed this over them, we ask in Jesus' name.